Hi, everybody. Good to be speaking to you. Uh, this feels very new. I'm sure uh, if you're new to Emmanuel, you're wondering what's going on. So am I. I have no idea. It's all new for me, too. Uh, this is one of the strangest kinds of church uh, experience I've had. And so we're, we're on the same page. We're on the same journey. And all I can say is our experience as a church is that Jesus has been faithful to us. Jesus has been there for us. Jesus, Jesus has kept us. Uh, through a lot of challenges and circumstances. And we're looking forward to seeing how he will keep us through this one. So come with us. We'll do you good. Uh, join us on the journey. Be with us next week. Be with us the Sunday after. Uh, click on this stuff and uh, let's see how he leads us through this time. We're going to be uh, talking about, believe it or not, uh, the virus and especially the anxiety uh, that is associated with it. It definitely has uh, touched a nerve for us. Uh, in fact, it's touched all the key nerves, really. If you think about it, the things that we, we really care about the most, things like our health, uh, things like our families, uh, things like our career prospects, and things like our financial situation. And it's, it's sweeping across all of those things and touching everybody in different categories, right down to, to school children worrying about their exams that seem to be non-existent. And, and in every way, we're affected in ways that we can't even predict, which is perhaps one of the hardest things about it. Sometimes troubles are a little bit easier to manage when we, we think we know roughly what's going to happen and we know how long they're going to last. But when they seem to come without a sort of sell-by date. We're not completely sure how and when this whole episode is going to come to a close. Uh, it, it feels particularly difficult. And we might be struggling especially with the sense of disruption to our routine. I, I feel disrupted whenever my, my schedule is out the window. Any, any, any disruption to my routine affects me. Uh, but think about how it affects the whole of a society when, when whole villages and towns and cities are disrupted. It's going to create certainly the, the, the opportunity for anxiety to creep in. And then you have to think about the fact that we are isolated potentially by this. For some of us, it's, it's literally isolation. It's, it's being kept away from proximity, kept away from the normal way of doing relationships. And we're having to rely on technology uh, to do our relating. And that in itself puts a strain on people. The, the sense of emotional isolation, being kept away from those that we cling to uh, at times of need. And then the, the fact that our relationships, even in the context of isolation, being shut in, can be tested in new and different ways, being put together uh, in, a, in a more intense way with our domestic situation, with our, with our fran family and friends or people that we live with. And, and having to handle some of the new tensions of not necessarily having so much freedom uh, from, from those tight interactions, that's another cause for anxiety still. So here we are listing multiple reasons for people to struggle uh, through this uh, very difficult time. But it's not as if it's in a context where there hasn't already been a growing concern about mental health. Uh, we've noticed that. We've noticed trends that have concerned us uh, recently as a society. This comes like a, a huge wave hitting a, a ship that's already troubled on an uncertain stormy sea. And so we are aware of... A context of anxiety, we feel it uh, enormously. And because of that, I think it's really wise to turn to the Bible. That might sound like a, a strange 
thing to introduce. Maybe it's the last place you expected to turn. But in reality, this book is written by people mostly going through difficulty, it seems. If you get to know this book, you start to notice it's, it's written by people living in, in isolation sometimes, in, in prisons, in deserts, in wilderness, in, in exile. People going through all kinds of privations. They were the people that wrote this book, that put this book together. And so this, this book knows us. This book knows our hour. It knows the moment that you and I have got to. And it, it, it's able to speak to the very real pressures that you and I will be feeling. And so I want us to turn to it right now. We're going to turn to it by looking literally at the words of Jesus himself in John chapter 14. We have four accounts of the life and public ministry of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in John chapter 14, Jesus is talking with his close friends and disciples really for the last meal they will have together before he is arrested and taken away. This is a especially important time that he's gathering them for. And we're going to read just the first few verses of John chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. You and I will get the most out of this story if we put ourselves into the situation of those disciples. If we understand what they're going through, we will better appreciate the way that Jesus is appealing to them right here. They are going through serious anxiety themselves for a couple of main reasons. First of all, they understand that Jesus is about to leave. His departure, which he has warned them about for a long time up till now, but they've mostly been trying to ignore him, it would seem, is now on them. They can't escape it. He's saying, I'm about to be taken away from you. That in itself is a, a painful uh, thing to come to terms with. They've, they've allowed Jesus to become the very center of their lives. They've left everything to follow him. He's the one that's given the meaning and direction and purpose. He's the one that's cemented their friendships together. He's been the, the center of their community and of their individual lives. And he's saying, I'm going now. I'm go I'm, I've got to move on. I've got to go from you. That in itself is a horror to them. And then the circumstances 
under which he's going add to it. It's, it's painful for them to consider the dark cloud that is kind of gradually brooding over the city of Jerusalem as Jesus' enemies are clearly conspiring together to drag him to his arrest and trial. They know that, that having entered the city only a week ago under a banner of enthusiasm and, and jubilation, he's now become a kind of public enemy number one as he seems to have taken wrong PR turn after wrong PR turn. He's, he's made enemies with the wrong people. He's got himself ultimately uh, seen as a, as a rank outsider, as a difficult person, needs to be properly dealt with, brought under the fist of the state. And they know that they're associated with him. It's a really grim, dark prospect for them. The path ahead looks troubling and it looks unknown. What will it mean for them? They, they don't look forward to the idea of disorientation. They're going to go through a, a time where their question will be, why did Jesus bring us this way? What is he doing? What is God doing? Is God involved is God even there? I'm sure all kinds of enormous questions must have flooded through their anxious minds. So that's just, that's just the first problem that they're facing. And it, in a sense, is something that you and I can relate to, surely, at least to some extent. Because like I said earlier, we're going into a season of challenge. It seems into some kind of stormy waters, which we, we don't really know what to expect from. All we know is, is, is stuff that seems to have happened in, in other countries so far and various pretty dark trajectories that are being set before us by experts. We may have read a few articles or seen a few reports yourself that have filled you with a sense of foreboding. What, what dark thing might we expect from the weeks and months before us? We've not been here before. What's it going to be like? And we might even already be starting to think, what is God doing? Why has Jesus brought us this way? It didn't look like this a few weeks ago. It, it's, it seems unreal. I keep waking up every morning thinking, it's, it's this real situation. It's not a dream. It's really happening. And then secondly, these men are anxious because not only do they feel the, the sense of doom approaching from outside, but they are feeling the disappointment of what they see inside. Jesus is having to confront them with the real weakness within each one of them. See, some of them are beginning to protest their loyalty to Jesus, saying, Jesus, we're going to stand with you. We're going we're gonna to come with you to the grave. We, we, we'll, we'll lay our lives down for you. You know, the most vocal member of the group, the kind of spokesman, has definitely given us that line in John chapter 13, just a few lines before what we read from. And Jesus has to confront this friend of his and, and say, listen, I love what you're saying, but no, that's not going to happen. Before this night is out, Three times you will deny that you even know me. And that came to pass. All the disciples, it seems, scattered at the point of Jesus' arrest. The, these guys are being confronted not just with a, an evil set of circumstances, but they're being confronted with their weak and evil selves. They're being reminded by Jesus that they haven't got, it seems, quite what they thought they had. They don't have the resources, the capacity to handle the challenge and the crisis. And again, I suppose that relates to me and you. Some of us are feeling concerned about our own ability to, to handle the season we're going into. Maybe if you feel a sense of responsibility for others, that especially hits you. you you're aware of being maybe a parent, maybe a husband or a wife, maybe somebody involved in care 
someone involved in, in the NHS, someone involved in any kind of medical services, someone, someone involved in, in any level of responsibility. Maybe you're a business leader, maybe you're someone in the, in the private sector and you just know you've got, you've got employees looking to you. You've got people that you need to carry. You've got to be strong for them. And that can bring out the best in some of us, you know, at least initially. The sense of, you know, being that kind of wartime hero that everybody needs in a crisis. You know, cometh the hour, cometh the man. And here I am, you know, make way for Mr. Churchill. I have come through to deliver the nation because I am that strong leader. And I've been waiting for a good crisis to get my teeth into. And, you know, I, I kind of appreciate that. I'm inspired by it. And a lot of my real heroes are people who are just like that. But I suppose as I get to know myself a little more, maybe as I get a bit older, I begin to look within and realize, I'm not so sure. If, if the disciples of Jesus at this point of testing could be full of confidence in themselves and then fall flat on their face, then, oh wow, maybe I need help. Maybe I need a dose of self-awareness. Am I ready for what's before me? Am I, can I carry the people I need to carry? These are the things that will create anxiety. Jesus knows about it, and so Jesus speaks to the very anxiety. Jesus, Jesus speaks to them words that they desperately need to hear. And what we tend to do, by the way, is we, we tend to slightly mishear what he says in this opening verse. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And the emphasis comes for many people on the word believe. Faith. Trust, it's all about having faith. Many of us make that slight error of, of, of interpretation. Jesus is, is offering them the answer of faith, the, the great, wise, ancient virtue of faith. You just need a little bit of faith. That's what will get you through. I, I, I wish I had more faith. I, I really envy your faith. Just faith, faith in itself is supposed to sometimes stand as the answer. That's what we need in this world more faith is it is that really that helpful see faith in itself is a not necessarily helpful commodity just faith on its own faith can be terribly misplaced faith can be spent on the wrong things Many of us had very great faith in stuff that hasn't worked out well. I, I had enormous faith just a fortnight ago that Liverpool were going to sail into winning the Premier League within a few days. I, it was all sewn up as far as I was concerned. It didn't take much faith. It was, just, it was just easy to see. I had so clear a vision of it. And, and you can put your faith in something that's, that's not the right object of your faith. Surely that's the point. Not the, the faith feelings we have, but the object of them. What is it that we hang our faith upon? Jesus makes that abundantly clear. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Which, by the way, is a mind-blowing reference to himself as being equal in greatness, equal to God the Father. Jesus is offering us not faith as such, not the commodity of belief. He's offering himself and nothing less. Jesus is offering us himself. And that's who he offers to the disciples in this story. And it's who he offers you. He offers himself to you. And really, 
kind of think that's my job today. I want to do the same. I want to offer you Jesus at the time when you might, for the first point in your life, be realizing your need of him. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're thinking, well, in what way is Jesus the answer to my needs? How does Jesus make any difference? And actually, this, this very set of verses in the Bible, if we, if we draw out what's being said here, we would find enormous riches and, and, and sustenance. We'll find so much in it. But it's worth just drawing out maybe two or three things in the time we have. So let me just pick out these ones. First of all, his compassion. Jesus offers himself as the God of compassion. We see that so clearly in, in the way he talks to them. It's so different in the way I would talk at this point. I don't know about you, I, I definitely feel the compassion fatigue growing on me from time to time. Weeks like the one we've gone through. I, I, notice, I notice when other people are not as compassionate towards me as I would quite like them to be. And I, and I, I don't know about you, I, I'm, when I go through a time of suffering, if it's conspicuous, if it, it gets people's notice, then yeah, I'm, this is not such a bad thing. I'm kind of almost pleased in a perverse way. I kind of enjoy. I enjoy just being seen to be going through something hard so that people can see me as the, 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 the noble servant of others, just suffering, you know, with dignity. It makes me feel, like, yeah, they're watching and they're, they're feeling compassion for me. And isn't that lovely? You know, we can kind of gobble that up. It, it kind of tastes good when people are really, when we are the centre of attention as the sufferer. The problem with the, the coronavirus is that everybody is, it seems. We're all struggling and I highly resent it that every time I walk into a meeting and sit down and tell everyone how hard my life has been, someone else almost immediately to my left or my right can beat my you know, uh, account of difficulty. And maybe we don't say it explicitly, all right, we don't, we don't put scores on the wall, but I think the undercurrent of our thinking, maybe our talking sometimes, who's got it the worst here? Who's, who's really struggling? Who's got it the hardest in this situation? Maybe you feel this in, in your workplace or your domestic situation. I, I come home and I, I want to tell my wife how hard it's been. I expect her to be all over me with compassion. But then how dare she? She's also had a hard day. She's not supposed to. She, I don't, she, she's not, that's not fair. So where do we get the compassion from? If everyone's running out, if we're all aware of our own needs. There was one person who did suffer the most. You think about it, there must have been through history. Who, who is it who's had the hardest time? Well, how could we understand anybody suffering to compare to the one who descended from the highest place of all, from eternal glory to the lowest of human experience? He descended into the gutter of existence. Jesus suffered the most. Jesus walked the lowest depths, the darkest places. Jesus himself in ways that we could never begin to understand. Jesus knows suffering. And Jesus at this point in the story surely deserves a friend or two who gets him, who sympathizes. Surely one of the 11 that are sitting here could be at least reaching out saying, Jesus, how are you doing? <laughs> how can we serve you? How can we help you? But you know what they're discussing at this point, at the Last Supper, the subject of conversation? Luke tells us in Luke 22, the discussion subject was, which one of us is the greatest? 
Which one of us is the greatest? That's what they seemed to see as the fittest topic of conversation. Which of us is the best? Scores on the walls, please. Maybe Jesus, you could just adjudicate. You could just tell us. Jesus, at the time when he most needs compassion from his friends, that's what he's getting from them. Now, if I was in Jesus' sandals at that point, my reaction would be pretty, pretty curt, pretty decisive. I'm done with you. I'm done. You guys are so shallow. Your concerns are so selfish. I cannot bear this anymore. I can't be with you. I, I can't. I split. I'm done. I cut, I cut myself from you. But what do we find in Jesus instead? The thing that overwhelms Jesus, the thing that concerns him, the thing that preoccupies him is compassion for them. For them. It's them he's talking to. It's them he's thinking of. Do not let your hearts be troubled. That's what Jesus is like, my friend. That's what he's like. Jesus says to you in your situation of need, when you think no one's looking out for me, I'm struggling and you may be feeling ashamed of the selfishness that you begin to sense creeping up inside you, all the emotions of resentment. No one's looking out for me right now. I want you to understand that there's somebody whose preoccupation is that you should not let your heart be troubled who's drawing near to you, who cares for you that abundantly. And all that he's doing is out of compassion for them. This is what drove him from the beginning. This is why Christmas happened, why he was in the, the manger, why he went through the humiliation of becoming a baby and growing up in the, 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 the ignominy that he did, in growing up and going through the pain and suffering, misunderstanding and rejection and the torture and the disgraceful execution. It's why he went through all of it. It's why he even went through the resurrection and ascended to heaven. It's why he's there now. Why is he there? What is it that preoccupies Jesus all the time? What is it he lives for? What is it he longs for? What concerns him, it did then and it does now, is, is his preoccupying compassion and sympathy for his beloved people. He lives for them. He loves them. He cannot stop it. Even in our rubbishness, <laughs> he can't stop it. It's who he is. He is full of compassion. He is truly sympathetic to us in all our frailty, all our failure. You need to know this compassionate God. If you're going to exercise any compassion, any love, if you're going to be available to other people, friends, your own resources will run short. You will run dry. So you need to come to the well of living water. You need to come to Jesus who said, come to me all who are thirsty. Come and drink. Come, come and get sustained. Come and be refreshed. From your inmost being will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is the one we need, the God of compassion. Second thing, really quickly, he, he shows us his faithfulness in this part of the Bible. We, we see it you know, scattered all the way through. It's what the Bible's about. But I love the way he refers really simply in that slightly challenging phrase he uses in verse two. He says, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? If it were not so, I wouldn't tell you. I, wouldn't, I don't just make things up. I don't just say things to make you feel good. I'm not like that. I can't lie. Do you know the Bible says that God cannot lie? Jesus doesn't know what it means to break a promise. 
He doesn't know what it means. He, you and I, at the best of times, with the best will in the world, I find myself unable to keep my promises. I've had to break a few this week. Uh, things that we wanted to do, things I had planned, things that I, you know, even as a church, these are the things we're going to, this is what we're going to spend money on, this is what we're going to do here, this is, we're doing this and this, all the plans we have, and then it's beginning to unravel already in front of me. I spent the last few days realizing maybe we can't do that, maybe we can't do all the schemes and plans that I have broken up against the, the, the wall of reality, sheer reality. I'm not in control. I don't have the cosmic power to just change things my way. And it can be heartbreaking, actually. Sometimes it's stuff that I don't want to have to break my promise in at all. It's just things that you have to say to your kids, you know, looking forward to the holiday of a lifetime. Where's that gone? Things that you've been looking forward to for months and maybe building up the hopes of your kids with. You think, oh man, it's not because I'm a liar. I don't, I, I don't like deceiving. But I can't, I can't keep every promise. I realise I just can't. I can't control everything. I'm so glad to know a saviour who is also a king, who is truly sovereign, who is in control, that he's able to say, guys, I wouldn't tell you if it wasn't true, I wouldn't. I wouldn't tell you that I'm, I'm planning all this to bring you to me so that you can be with me, with my Father, so that I can share with you, that you can have fellowship with me forever. I wouldn't say these things if they weren't utterly dependable. And this is, this is food for me and you because it means through the crisis when it looks like everything is out of control, circumstances come which make us think, how do we, how do we even do this? How are we going to make it through this? When, when they saw him literally hanging naked upon a cross, what overwhelmed them was the sense that this, this, this makes it impossible to believe anyone ever again. They scattered. They didn't know what had happened. Their, their world was torn apart, but they should have held faithful. They should have remembered that he told them, I keep my promises even through the times that look utterly confusing, disorienting, confusing to the point of it, 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 nothing is believable. Even in those times, Jesus is truly in control. And for us, sometimes it's reminding ourselves of his faithfulness, his trustworthiness. Do that, I suggest, every day. You know, while we go through this season, there's a lot of voices There's a lot of things you can look at, a lot of things to read, a lot of, lot of opinion. Maybe one of the best bits of advice I can give you today, choose to unfollow a few people. <laughs> Filter out a few voices. Not every voice is to be taken as the other. Not, not every voice is equal in wisdom. There are some voices that stand out. There's ultimately one voice that comes through from heaven. There's one voice that is the voice of a compassionate, faithful, kind, gracious shepherd who knows the road knows his sheep, knows what they need to hear and is willing to speak, loves to speak, speaks all the time. And so you should come to this book daily, friends, all the way through this time. Maybe, maybe for some of you, this is the time in your life where you will come to know his voice in a way you never have because we need to, right? We need to turn to him daily, get into this book, listen to him. Don't unfollow this. Come to him daily, receive his word, it will be food to you, it will be sustenance, it will be protection, it will be a shield, it will be health to your soul. Seek the voice of your shepherd. Let me say the third thing and the final thing 
to you. Jesus comes as the one offering himself as the one who can satisfy us. He offers himself as the one who's compassionate, the one who's faithful, and the one who can truly satisfy. I, I find it interesting that these two disciples, Thomas and Philip, the questions they ask are quite revealing. And Thomas says, uh, just, just show us the way. We, we need you to show us the way that you're going. And then Philip asks the question, just, just show us the Father. Could you show us the Father? It's funny that they're both almost versions of the same question. What they're really saying is, Jesus, we're so grateful for you. We know that you're important. We love you. And, and yet we feel like there's, there's, we desperately need you to show us what, what you haven't got. Because it's like we, we, we're grateful for you, but we need to move on from you now. Because you're not enough for us now. Even Philip's phrase, did you notice it? Show us the Father. That will be enough. That will be enough. <laughs> what will be enough for you right now? Enough, enough loo roll, I don't know, enough, enough uh, hand wash, enough, I- enough food, enough not, you know, not having to worry. Just, just enough. I just want that, then it will be enough. If, if there's enough of this, then that commodity, that thing, I need, then it will be enough, then I'll be content. And we're like that as people, aren't we? we yeah, I know Jesus is good, but he's, he's not enough. I need more. I, need, I just need, I just, you don't get it, Jesus. You're not really enough. Jesus responds to both of them. To Thomas, you want to know the way? Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. And to Philip, you want to know the Father? You want to see the Father? If you see me, you've seen the Father. Because the Father's in me. I'm in the Father. And, 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 and this is the whole thing. I'm introducing you. I'm the one that will lead you to him. You just need me. Philip, you do need me. You don't, you've been following me three and a half years, but you still don't realize that I am the one you need. You could have been following Jesus. Some of you, you have been. And the coronavirus crisis is going to be the thing that helps you to see for the first time some of the riches and glories that are provided for you in Christ. Listen, God is everything that you need him to be. And he has chosen to be everything you need him to be in Christ. The way he wants you to know him is through his son. You want to know God? You want to know the one you were made for? The one who uniquely can fill you with joy, fill your heart with laughter and fill you with hope, fill you with light, fill you with love and acceptance and forgiveness and peace and contentment. You want that God, don't you? It's who you were made for. You will never be rested without him. You will be always restless until you find this God. You want him, you long for him, you need him, you were born for him. And he says, here is my son. I'm in him, he's in me. I'm sharing him with you. Come, come join yourself to Jesus. Put your trust in Jesus. Find Jesus to be everything you need. Everything. I tell you, if Jesus is not enough for you to get through, this crisis, then he's not who he claimed to be. It's that simple. But he does claim to be everything. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am the way. I am the truth. Philip, Thomas, it's going to be tough. Choppy waters. It's going to be difficult. I promise you. I promise you. I'm enough for you through all of it. But Jesus, you're leaving. You're going. Oh, no, no. I'll send the Spirit. I'll send the Helper. I'll be with you in a way you've never dreamed of. I'll be within you. I'll join you to me and the Father. You're going to know me 
You're going to know me more than you've ever dreamed possible. I'm so much greater than you know. Listen, my friend, Jesus is always greater than you know. You're going to spend eternity, if you seek him, searching him out. You'll never get to the end of his provision. And we need to trust that. We need to believe. That's what he's saying. Believe in me. What does that look like? Well, first of all, it means this. Literally believe in him. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that he was crucified, that he was buried, and that he rose from the dead? Some of us, that's the thing that we struggle with. We couldn't get ourselves around it. And we struggled and we investigated. We looked at the facts and we looked at history. And we came to the point where we realized it's the only way to make sense of history. Jesus rose from the dead or history doesn't work. It's the only way to explain the events. So we come to see, first of all, that he really did rise. The second of all, not just that he rose somewhere over there, but he rose for me. You put your faith in him. It's a personal thing. You trust in him. In other words, you stop trusting in you. Yeah? You stop believing in yourself. Don't believe that lie. That's no, there's no hope there. Don't take yourself so seriously. You're not the answer to the world's problems. You're not even the answer to your own problems. You stop trusting you. You start trusting him. You believe that he is truly satisfying. You, you, you call on him and ask him and you expect him to meet with you and help you. And you start to give yourself in thanks to him. You know, so many of us here in Brighton and Hove and Shoreham, so many of us, really what we've done is we've spent our lives cursing God for not giving us the things we want. And it's time for, for people watching, it's time for you to do a literal about turn and start thanking him for all that he's given you. Have you ever thought of it like that? Imagine gratitude. Imagine thank you. Imagine seeing it all differently. God, you've given me it all. And most importantly, you gave me your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for my sin, to take my guilt and shame away. You gave me a saviour. You gave me forgiveness. You've given me hope. Start to thank him and see the difference that that makes. We're going to come to him now in worship. And praise, we're going to sing a final song of worship. It may be that you're in a place where you could even celebrate Jesus right now and take bread and wine if you've got some, maybe just with people around you. If, you, if you're with a group watching this, I encourage you, celebrate with communion. Remember his body and his blood given for you and enjoy him together as the body of Christ. Let me just pray. Father, thank you so much for the gift of your son. Thank you that truly he is enough for us. And I pray that you would help us on the journey of discovery to see all the riches you've laid up for us in him, to enjoy him, to trust him and to find him sufficient for the road ahead. We ask it in his name.